Man, I tell you what, I love that family. And I looked in the uh, church directory that the last one that we had was when I was here 30 some years ago. My, how you changed. <laughs> Not really, but I have. But I told Ron, just I don't want to embarrass her, but it's true. Jennifer never changes. She never changes. And uh, it's been after all these years. And I was, uh, I'm glad we have sun in these windows. These are pretty windows. L.L. Sams, who built this, rebuilt this congregation. This, uh, this, this sanctuary, uh, I asked him about storms, and he's from Texas, and I wanted him to tell me that they would somehow withstand uh, strong winds. And so he just looked at me and said, Pastor, I ain't never been in no hurricane. But he says, uh, I think we're having a little bit of reverb up here, just a little bit. But he says, uh, I've never uh, been a hurricane, but I tell you what, I can shoot this thing with a 9mm and it's not going to bust. <laughs> so, what we have here is a fortress. <laughs> and uh, I'm, just, I'm just glad it's here. And, and I, I was remembering that there's a canister right there. And that canister, we drilled a hole in it. We put the names of every child we could think of in that thing so we could pray for them. And you know, all those kids are 30 or 50 years old now. <laughs> but we did that. And I could stand here and tell you about uh, one of the greatest staffs that I've ever worked with. I could tell you a lot of things. And, and, and you need to take notes because I won't be here for the hundredth. <laughs> but Randy, the title of your sermon needs to be, It All Started With Pickleball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My son-in-law at Brentwood Baptist, where he's a minister, up in Tennessee, he's a, he's a pickleball nut. It has taken, taken by storm this entire nation. So uh, you did the right thing there, brother. You did the right thing. And I hope it's well used. Well used. And I hope that uh, this, this entire facility be full when you get to your 100 years. Okay? Right here. You know, it's not a pastor that makes the church. It's the church that makes the pastor. It's been that way for years. There's so much uh, here, the experience of the people that are sitting around you, Randy, that, that if you'll just take some time to listen to them. Um, you gave me something that you don't know you gave me because I watched you. You uh, allowed me to see what, the lives of many of you, what... Uh, Confidence was in God to the point that you just had this unusual sense of peace and contentment no matter what took place. And probably the man that turned me on to what that was was John Mahaffey. John had... Just a sheer faith in God. And regardless of what took place, he had a confident contentment. And I want to read something to you that came from a meeting that I was in just a while back where uh, there was an administrator leaving the hospital system. And when he left, uh, the man that 
gave a speech about him as a friend of mine, solid Christian. But he read something that was that was written by M.L. Anderson about this man. And after it was over with, I walked up. I said, can I have that? I said, I've got a church I want to read that to. <laughs> and this has a secular ring to it for sure. I want you to listen to me though. Because this is what you taught me. In every church that I've been in, I was able to find the leaders because of what I'm going to talk about tonight and because of you. Leaders are called to stand in the lonely place between the no longer and the not yet and intentionally make decisions that will bind, forge, move, and create history. Leaders are not called to be popular not to be safe, nor to follow. Rather, they're the ones called to take risk, to change attitudes, to risk displeasure. They're the ones called to gamble their lives for a better world. That's you. That is you. Am I saying you're perfect? No, you're saved by grace like I am. I'm glad you aren't perfect because I, I wouldn't have a job as a pastor if you were perfect. You understand that, right? But the leadership, that quiet confidence and courage and firmness, you taught me that. And I want to thank you for it. Hebrews 13 Verse 5, part B, begins like this. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, for we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Two words in that text, contentment and confidently, just stand out like a mountain to me. This is one of the most powerful passages you'll ever read in Scripture. It's in that top 100 that just changed everything. So let me talk to you a little bit about what it sounds like. That way you can pick your leaders carefully. That way you can know whether you are a leader or not. But it's simply placed in Scripture. I'm going to read uh, Proverbs 15, 1 through 18. But the way I'm going to do that is that I, it's a contrast passage where something is stated and another thing is stated. Is that I'm going to list one side first, and then I'm going to come back and do the other side. So listen carefully. Proverbs 15, 1. This is one side. A harsh word stirs up anger. Perverseness. And it breaks the spirit. By sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. The mouths of fools feed on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted ox and hated with it and hatred with it. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Anybody want to live in a world like that? 
We already do. <laughs> Just turn on the news. We already do. But what God's done is he's gone and put some safe havens right in the middle of it. And I want you to listen to the other side of this, this, this text. And you'll understand this is what I've learned here. It says in Hebrew, excuse me, it says in the, in the text in Proverbs 15, beginning in verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. The cheerful of heart has a continuous feast. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is. He who is slow to anger quiets contention. That sound like heaven to you? Does it? Sounds like heaven to me. Guess what? We pray for God to be a heaven on earth. We ask him to come and his will to be with us. There's no other place on the face. They're not going to get it in politics. They're not going to get it any other place on the face of the earth. They're not going to get it in money. They can only get it out of us. But how do you do this? How do you get to the place where you can constantly do this? George is a good example. He's a senior adult. George lost his wife, and when he was 92 years of age, he decided that he would rob the cradle. And he found a woman that was 89 years old, and she agreed to marry him. 89. And they were as happy as they could be as they were moving towards that wedding, but his son, the pharmacist who owned the drugstore, hated the entire idea. And he was vocal about it. He said some things to their faces that they, nobody, nobody ought to say. So George just went around to the... Uh, drugstore and had his bride by the hand and walked back towards the pharmacy and of course he was working back there and came up and George says uh, I, I have some questions for you if you don't mind son he says uh, do you have in this store you have some heart medication of course dad sure I do do you have some support hose to help with some circulation I do that do you have some medicine for rheumatism and osteoporosis and arthritis? Yeah, Dad, we got that too, he said. Do you have eye drops and sleeping pills and Ensure in different flavors? He said, yes, yes, we've got that, Dad. You got some denture supplies and reading glasses? Yeah, Dad, they're, they're right here. Do you have walkers, wheelchairs, canes? you have all those things? He says, I have all those things in all sizes. Why in the world... Are you asking this question? And George smiled because we'd like to use your store as our vital registry. <laughs> and they both laughed, and she laughed, there were tears in their eyes. Laughter goes a long way. George knows Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. The man has a life that's full of things that he would not choose, but he has a life full of contentment. Because he's confident in God. George has lived through World War II, the Korean War, the Cold War, the threat of nuclear holocaust, the Vietnam War, the crisis with Iran, 
one recession after the other, 23 plus presidential elections, and he lost his wife. And he has this strange contentment. Where in the world do leaders like that and Christians like that come from? They come from God. They come from this text that I want to tell you about. And since I'm not your pastor, I'm not going to have a three-point sermon. I'm going to have a five-point sermon. Watch this. You're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, part B. One more time. Listen to this. Be content with what you have. Now, what do you have? I'm going to show you. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? First point. God is giving us an irrevocable promise here. There's nothing in scripture like this. When he says that I will never leave you nor forsake you, He's given us double negatives in the Greek. And in fact, if you read this in the Greek, it would come out in a way that lets you understand that this has not been said any place else in the Bible like this. Because there's triple negatives. I don't know of any other place. Now, you theologians in here, maybe you know. But I don't think there's any other triple negatives in Scripture like this here. Now, double negatives, yes. But let me read it in the Greek. It says... God says, I will not, I will not, I will not leave you. I will not, I will not, I will not forsake you. Rarely does God repeat himself. If you go back to Genesis 1, there's power in spoken word. Do you know how he created everything? He spoke it. Said it one time, and there was a universe. Said it one time. And all of these things were created. Said it one time. He would speak, done. Speak, done. You know, when I read God's word, I need for him to tell me one time. And that's pretty well enough, even though I know that he kind of taps me on the head and said, you weren't listening. <laughs> I understand that. But there's no other place in scripture that you see this. God said it three times. And then said it three more times. Do you think he's kidding? Do you think this is a joke? I know you don't. How you doing with your contentment? How you doing? This is a powerful practice, um, a passage about the Word of God itself. It is an irrevocable promise that is so big, there's nothing bigger that we have in the written Word like this. I mean, just the size of it. The second thing I want to tell you that once he speaks, his hand will cover and surround you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, C says, and he said, I will never leave you. The word leave is the picture of somebody who has you by the hand, but he never with, will re, with, withdraw his hand. Ever. Well, Pastor, what if? When you know him as Lord and Savior, he says, nobody is going to take you from my hand. And that's where you live. Did you know that? He has hold of you. 
Which means that if I'm in here, and he is here, nothing comes to me except to go through him first. Does that mean life has been lived the way you want it? No. Guess who's God? It's not you. <laughs> he does things that we don't understand. But he's got you and he's holding you. And he was very, very clear when he said that nobody's going to take you out of my hand. Now, I used to think that stability and success in the Christian life was the fact that I held on to him. And I've heard people say, just hang in there, brother. I haven't found that in Scripture. And that's a good thing because, you know, there's sometimes I feel pretty weak. There's sometimes I feel pretty worthless. There's sometimes I just don't feel like doing the things I know I need to do. If I was the one that depended on this in this thing, it would be over. You ever been a daisy Christian? He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. You ever been there? Go back and read this passage. The biggest worded scripture in the Bible. Go read it. Don't play that game. Simply because once he has you, he's got you. Man, I'm just not strong enough. So the third point is the shortest one and it's like this. It's not what you hold that counts but it's who holds on to you. And the reason I'm saying that is simply because religion is trying to hold on to God. We're not a religion. We're people who God has come and grabbed us and we invited him to do that. And once that fist closed, it was there. A little girl was up in Cherokee when they had that little swinging bridge. It's an old story, but it's a good one. And there was a bridge she could have walked across over to the park, but they also had this crazy swinging bridge, and her dad wanted her to walk on this, had the experience, but she, she took about five steps, and she froze, and he said, here, here, hold my hand, and we'll go. She says, Dad, I want to tell you something. I don't want to hold your hand. I'm not strong enough. I'm too scared. If you don't mind, you hold on to mine because you're stronger than I am. And if you can tell me about your prayer life, I can tell you whether you have religion or whether you have Christianity. Because God has us. He has us and he holds us. The fourth point is this. You will discover his living presence is everything. It's everything. It's everything and it's all you need. It's absolutely everything. He says he will not forsake you. Those are big words. Because it means that in him, everything is supplied. And let me just give you a list. And I wrote them down. And some preachers don't use notes like the one you're going to hear tomorrow. But I'm not one of those. But here we go. He will never fail to meet you at a designated location. He'll never skip a prearranged meeting, that appointment that you have with him. He'll never leave you standing in the cold in your tears. He'll never exclude you, ditch you. He'll never leave the conversation and abandon you. He never sing, sing, uh, signals time out. 
He never puts the prayers of Charlestonians who know the Lord because he has something to do in South Africa. He never tires. He's never in a bad mood. He's not like us. He never lies. He never changes his mind. He always does exactly what he's going to say. Did you hear what they said? He's going to do what he says. That's what those promises are. Created just for you. Joshua 13 and Ezekiel 44 talk about the division of the land once they got to the promised land. And how many tribes were there? Let me give you a test and see if you've learned anything. How many tribes were there in Israel? Twelve. But they only divided the land up for 11. Did you know that? Just 11. There's one left out. And God said to Aaron, you will not give any land to Levi. Because I am with them. They don't look at a piece of property to get their security. They look at the fact that I am with them. And they, as I own it all, basically, they own it all. And so we go over in Scripture and we find out that that's your tribe. Have anybody here, have you ever heard the term priesthood of believers? Do you know what that is? This is you and me. We don't have any country boundaries. We'll share Christ anywhere, <laughs> at any time, at any place. We are a people that with God, all we need is His presence and nothing else really matters. We go where He tells us to go. Nothing else matters. We are priests. But that just separates us from everybody. So God gave them everything they needed. He says that he's going to supply all their needs. If you go back and read that special passage that says, you know, he leads us in paths of righteousness, which means that he leads us in right paths, his paths. Why? For his reputation. It says, for his name's sake. He's going to do the right thing in your life, not for you. He's going to do the thing, right thing in your life because you're an example. You're the example that he is who he says he is. And people will see it. They will know. It amazes me how many times in Scripture that it says that that's all you need. Remember, Moses said, Lord, let me see your glory. And God basically said, you know, my presence is with you. That's all that was needed. Jesus made these audacious statements. He says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me. All that labor, who have pain in their lives and fear, and are heavy laden, worry too big to carry, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Why is that important? Because in John chapter 6 we have God, Christ, giving that miracle of bread. And, and if you read the passage, he's creating bread on the spot. That bread didn't exist before he got it in his hands. 
He creates things that we never knew existed. His solutions don't even exist in your life yet. Not until you understand His presence. And some of the best praying I've ever done is when I couldn't think of any words to say. You ever been there? You ever been there? You ever heard somebody that you just couldn't put it into words? There's no, no words in the English language. And we have Christ. They're speaking for us. Fifth, you're going to get a permission to live your life in confidence. It says in verse 6, We can confidently say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. What can man do to me? The word confident means to possess a strength on the inside. It's a, it's a picture of, of uh, cities that have been surrounded and kept in a place where they can't leave, so therefore the enemy thinks that they're going to die of thirst, they're going to run out of water and run out of food, but they have a supply inside through caverns or whatever, but they have an adhesion well, they have something going on, and they never worry about any of those things because they're sustained by something inside. You see, that's who we are as Christians. That's why we can have such a content confidence. Regardless of what's going around here, Satan can try to, to wrap us up and hide us, but I want to tell you something. God has says... You're mine. You're mine. And listen to what Paul said in Philippians. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with little. I know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I'm going to tell you what. I used to sit in the office and watch this happen at John Mahaffey. I know this exists. And every single leader that I've ever known to be a leader in the church since I was here, I've seen this. This is it right here. Self-contained. Then he goes on to say, listen to this, the Lord is my helper. There's two words in that in the Greek. One means to shout and one means to run. That means that when you pray, and when you know the presence of God, there is not just a whisper. You know, Christ talks to us in whispers. We have to be quiet. God gave us two ears and one mouth. That's a hint of what we need to do the most of. But he just he says, he says, he says I'm going to talk to you in your prayer time. But in this case, it says when you come to him and you present to this, there is this noise, there is this movement, there is a power that comes to you that shouts and is loud as God comes to answer and to do what He promised He would do, His reputation at stake, He's coming. And, and, and all of a sudden, things change. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Jack is uh, my oldest uh, grandchild. He is, uh, belongs to Aaron and Jay, who are in Tennessee. Uh, we live on uh, eight-acre pieces of property. Right on the edge of our property, there was a man that, that had, a, uh, we had a lab. And uh, that lab loved people. But this, uh, this grandson that's just about to go to college, he's about six foot four. But back then, he was knee-high to a grasshopper. He was a little fellow. And here comes this lab onto our property. And he's glad to see everybody. Well, Jack looked at him and said, 
I don't like that, whatever it is. And it scared the mud out of him. And I watched his dad go over and just take him and pick him up. He didn't understand what was happening. He didn't know that dog. Jay did. And Jay put him on his shoulders. His dad's six foot eight. So he was really up there. And that dog, his tail was wagging, and he was walking around and looking at Jack, but he really didn't care about any of that. He was going to find somebody else to lick anyhow. It's just one of those things. But I noticed Jack. He completely forgot about that dog because he was in the presence of his dad. And he started playing with the crepe myrtle limbs and pulling my blossoms off of them above his head. And he'd watch them float down. He completely was able to live a life that would have been possible apart from being in the presence of his father. That's called the abundant life. It's the eternal blessings that come to us. And I'm not talking about wealth and power. I'm talking about the presence of God. I'm talking about when you go to prayer. You're about to begin your ninth decade. And God has come in here. And he's reaching down. He says, let me carry this decade. Come here. And all he wants to do is hold you and for you to know you're being held. And you have every biblical right to have confidence in him to the point of absolute contentment for this next day. Would you bow your head personally, quietly, between you and the Lord? Would you get right with Him? Would you discover that it's not you holding Him, that it's Him holding you? And would you feel that hand around you? Would you let it hold you and know you? And I'm just going to hush. And you get right with God Himself. Nobody can find this power. Nobody can find this life on their own. Nobody can find their way to heaven on their own. It's Jesus that carries us there. It's Jesus that picks us up here right where we are. And if you don't know him as Lord and Savior, it is your call and your choice. But he's standing right here. And all you have to invite him to do, because this life is tough, is ask you to save, ask him to save you. You might have a question about the way you've been living your life. Give him that sin because he not only forgives it, he works through it. 
there is another side to it. We've been singing that song all night long. I invite you to receive him as Lord and Savior. And don't let this day pass. There's no use in you living any other place than the powerful, omnipotent hand of God himself. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who gives us this gift. It is in the name of your Son that we pray.